This message is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. Lord. Good evening, B women. How are you doing? I can see smiles on your faces. Wow. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this beautiful conference. We thank you for the opportunity to come boldly into your presence by the blood, without guilt, without shame, without condemnation. We thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, because you open our eyes to see, you open our ears to hear, and you open our hearts to understand, and you strengthen our feet to lay hold and run into all that you have prepared for us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 It's wonderful uh, to be back here tonight. I honor you, Pastor Tony, with all my heart. I honor Pastor Koji. I honor my husband. I greet and, you know, I know a lot of people are watching back home, TCN London. Um, Thank you all for your support. Thank you for everything. And I honor every woman here and also watching online. Do you just want to give yourself a round of applause? We don't celebrate ourselves enough. Don't wait until somebody claps for you. Clap for yourself. Okay? Okay, if I say clap for me now, you clap louder than that. Can you please clap for yourself and celebrate yourself? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to just get straight in because I'm looking at the time. And I have an assignment tonight. I had planned to come and teach something else, but (laughs) the Holy Spirit. Say, but the Holy Spirit. After yesterday's sessions, and particularly during the men's panel, a powerful question was asked. Um, Pastor Poju and Mr. Drutui, they were asked about um, how, what in their past, what in their experience has helped them support, empower, build up strong women, and they both shared their stories. But Pastor Poggio said something really powerful. He said, first of all, that he recognizes that this, the two of them, their experiences is not everyone's experience. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that. And he said, you, allow me, you represent the other side. So that's what I've come to speak to today. Do you want to hear that? I've come to speak about how do you re-engineer yourself when nurture has put a dent on the nature of God within you. Praise the Lord. Let's start with Acts chapter 9. Everyone, whether Christian or not, every human being is born with the image of God. The Bible tells us that. Everyone has a bright future, regardless of where they start from. Every human being has been designed to fulfill purpose. And I personally believe everyone has the capacity to make global impact. Because Jesus said that we should take the gospel to where? To the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean having one billion followers, but you can have global impact. Don't allow (laughs) where you've come from. Cast a shadow on where you can go. It is by no means any indication of where God wants to take you. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to get started. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. If we have the New Living Translation, please. And I was asking God, I said, this one that you're now giving me, 
new assignments now. Oh, yeah, oh, let me start asking questions. <laughs> I need a, a story of re-engineering. Who re-engineered themselves, themselves in the Bible? And different examples came to me, but I knew that those were my examples until the Holy Spirit himself inspired me to go to the story of Paul or Saul. So let's go. From verse 1, Acts chapter 9, I'm reading a New Living Translation. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women. So did not discriminate. All this, you know, it's only men that can. No, man, woman, child, if you follow Jesus, I'm going to carry you. Back to Jerusalem in chains. Back to Jerusalem in chains as he was approaching Damascus on this mission. Let me pause there. <laughs> Yesterday, I talked about interruption points. Do you remember that? So you have the stimuli, the stimuli activates, and then it gets energized, and now what happens, the expression. But you have two interruption points. Now, how many of us have ignored those two interruption points and gone on to express? Don't lie, we're in the house of the Lord. You probably still did it today. I probably still did it today. The point is, we're a work in progress. Saul had many opportunities to repent. Pastor Paul preached or he taught about the conscience today. There's no way that the conscience of Saul was not tricking him, was not saying this thing you are doing, you are on the wrong path. You are on the path to destruction. And literally, I think two chapters before that, Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen. And this, he, he was even the coat keeper. Said he, he got, said, you, this coat is not going to let you throw the stone. Well, bring it, bring it here so that you can flex. Well, the guy, I mean, all of that. He not only supported it, he not only advocated it, he put all of his energy into the path that leads to destruction. What makes a person do that? What was his motivation? What was driving Saul? You see, and I'm going to come to, I'm going to go deeper into that. But a lot of us, sometimes, we get on the path. We are born into a home where either the home is broken, the marriage is broken, you were born into a home where poverty was all you saw. And I'm not just talking about money. There are people that have money, but with a poverty mindset. In the sense that, yes, there was money, but your father never really did anything for you. We prefer to spend the money outside, helping outsiders. So many different things. And then you find yourself in your adult life playing out some things that you saw in your parents or in your environment growing up. And you're wondering, where is this thing coming from? But I want to change. But I want to change directions. But I want to take my life in a different direction. I'm tired of where I am. Yet, what keeps happening is more of the same. The young lady exits that relationship. I will never, ever, ever date anybody like that again, ever. The guy was abusive. He was this, he was that. Check the next relationship. Almost identical. The only thing is, this one is like tall. This one is short. Exactly, recreated exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. 
He said, oh, I will never ever disrespect my husband again. The Holy Spirit has told oh, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. You go and cry. He said, ah, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? The next time, <laughs> you just find it. Before you know, hey, you have what? Verbal diarrhea. Are you understanding what I'm saying? This is the road that Saul was on. The more he did it, the more energy he gained to do the same thing. And he was heading to the path of destruction. Let's continue reading. Let's see what happens. Someone say the mercy of God. So back to verse 3. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul could not interrupt himself. God had to show up to interrupt him. Did you hear what I said? You know that that job you're in is going nowhere. But they lured you with money. The salary is good, but there's a dream crying out inside you. You know you're supposed to be on a different path. But you're like, no. The moment you decide to leave, they add another promotion with another pay package. But God has seen something ahead. And he's saying, jump ship now. Leave now. But you will not hear. So what happens? Last week, in the board meeting, the CEO was commending you. We can't live without you. You are the best thing that's ever happened to us. But on Monday morning, you walk to your office and they hand you a letter and say, we're really sorry. We have to let you go. <laughs> that was Saul. He was on a path to destruction. But the light came. And he, I want to read this to you because when that light comes to interrupt you, to forcibly interrupt you, it is not a pleasant experience. Some marriages, they got to the point of divorce before something snaps, like, ah! Ah, okay. Lord, I'm listening. Do you understand what I'm saying? And verse 5 says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. When I read that again, the Holy Spirit ministered to me, and he said, Saul didn't even know why he was doing what he was doing. In his mind, he thought he was on the right path. He thought he was being zealous for God, but he was deep in deception. See, this is why you must never judge anybody, including yourself. You don't know why people are doing what they are doing. One thing I have come to accept with all my heart is, listen, if people knew better, they will do better. And I'm not talking about no in terms of in the head. I'm talking about, you know, the Bible says that Satan blinds the eyes of the mind. That's what I'm talking about. The blindness of the heart. Those are alcoholic. Want to keep drinking to the point that his life is wrecked? Yes or no? No. Does he not know of the dangers of what that addiction is doing to him? Yes, he does. But at some point, we need an interruption where we cannot help ourselves. This is at the point where we cry out to God and he actually steps in. How many people here feel like, Jesus, I need you. I need help. I have tried on my own, but I'm at the point now 
that I need an interruption. I need the light. Listen, let me, let me explain to you what you are praying. Remember what happened to Saul when the light shone down? He went blind. So this is not an interruption that's saying, oh, let's go on a retreat. Let's go to some hotel and we'll put you up and just lay by the beach. No, this is going to be challenging. But unless that challenge comes into your life, you will not change direction. You will not change direction. So it has to come. That is why you must welcome the challenges that come into your life. Because the Bible says... Every affliction, light affliction, works together with an eternal weight of glory. Look at the words, light versus weight of glory. Saul didn't know. Until Jesus showed up and introduced himself. Tonight I declare in the name of Jesus that Jesus is introducing himself to you in that situation. And then he says in verse 8, I'm just going to skip. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. (sighs) I'm always very hesitant, let me be honest, to share my story. Because I told God, I said, I don't like this thing. <laughs> I said, there are already people judging already. So, but anyway. I was born into a family as a last child. My siblings are significantly older than I am. And, I mean... I want to first of all start off by honoring my parents. I love my parents with all my heart. If I had another opportunity to pick my parents, I would pick both my father and my mother. And that's the truth. And I actually hear, God told me specifically to speak to somebody. You have been cursing your parents. They're saying they didn't do this, they didn't do that. They did this to me, they did that, they did not. Listen. They did the best they knew to do with what they had. Before you judge them, you first of all, go and have all of their past experiences and let's see whether you will do differently. Before you judge. Before you judge. Terah, Abraham's father, We have no record that God spoke to him. But he picked up his family and he was heading towards Canaan. So he had that ambition in his heart for his children. But he stopped halfway. Even though he stopped halfway, then God picked it up and said, Abraham, I will take you there. So your parents may have stopped halfway. They may not have taken you all the way. They may not have given you the education you thought you deserved. They may have been harsh with their words. But at least they took... Listen, without your parents, you would not be here. You would not have life. So whatever your mother or your father may have done, that you've caught them off... I say blood of Jesus, like Pastor Isi said. No, you have no right to do that. You have no right to do that. The question is, they only brought you as far as her, I think. But then when God spoke to Abraham, Abraham was taken all the way to Canaan. The question is, now that you have God, how are you responding to move forward? You have no right to blame anybody in your past. You take 100% responsibility for your life. You decide what happens next. God never leaves a man without the power to choose what happens next. You can't change what's happened in the past. 
and you probably can't instantly change your present situation, but I guarantee you can decide your future. You can rewrite that future, and it is the greatest privilege to be a carrier of God. Do you know what that means? It means nothing is impossible to you. Nothing. Stop blaming the ex-boyfriend that walked out 10 years ago. The guy is married, has four children. Auntie, move on. Move on. You're like, ah, what is this to me? He will, the God of justice, he will never marry. He married. Before your kodo kodo, the guy, the man marry. He say, ha, hey, hey, God of justice, how will they have children? They had child number one. He said, that child, the head will be bent like this. Now lie. The, the, the son is handsome. They have one son, three beautiful girls. He's flying high in his career. Hello, don't hold anybody. Before your eyes, if the person knows how to lay hold of the mercy of God, God has forgiven, God has turned their shame into double honor, regardless of what they did to you. Regardless. All this unforgiveness. Hey, but what if, but what if, but what if, hello? You can only hold somebody that does not know the power of the blood. I'm telling you. If they know the power of the blood, you will not even see their red light. But you, you'll be stuck. Because you refuse to receive the power of the blood. What is the power of the blood? It's just like, blood of Jesus, blood of... What, what exactly is blood of Jesus? When Jesus was crucified and he went to hell. You know he went to hell. You read your Bible. He went to hell. He was completely powerless. He could not have raised himself because he had taken on the sin of the world. Satan had him. Satan did what? Had him. But God showed up and said, because of this thing you have done, the blood, God stepped into that situation and God resurrected him. I want you to think about that. At the point where God's mercy showed up, Jesus was more sinful than any of you. Think about it. He had the sin, though. The end, include, who is the like, worst human being? Like, you know, I'm a student of war. I love, you know, like World War II. World. Let's say Hitler. Say Hitler, hello. If Hitler repented, you know we'll be in heaven. So what is your own problem? You are holding somebody and you are holding yourself. Release. Release. So that you can move forward. So that you can move forward. So, I honor my parents. I love my parents with everything that I am. My mom went home to be with the Lord three years ago. And I, I, till today, I know she's alive, so I honor her. But my parents, they didn't have the best start. They were both born into polygamous homes. And back then, you know, my, my, my dad is almost 80. They were about the same age. So think about that time. Neither of them went to university. So they didn't have the great start in life. But they did their best. I was raised in a mid-income. We, we, you know, we had some of the luxuries, a little bit of the luxuries. So they came that far. But there are some things that also followed them. My parents' marriage broke up when I was 10. They never technically divorced. You know how it was in those days. They didn't divorce. But they never lived together again since I was 10. And I remember that day. I said my dad was tra- He did travel. He went to the UK. He said, I did traveling. That's what they told us. So me, I was just like, ah, plenty chocolate. And I didn't know <laughs> that that was it. My dad and my mother never lived in the same house again. What did I witness growing up? A lot of, I mean, ongoing disrespect and dishonor. 
ongoing disrespect and dishonor. From my mom to my dad, my dad, I mean, infidelity, this, I'm trying to tell you that where you've come from, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Where you've come from, in God, the fact that you have God, no, no ma, it doesn't determine where you go. And I remember, <laughs> my mom had two children outside of wedlock. I had aunties, I was surrounded by aunties that had ch- you know, children outside of wedlock. You know, all those kind of things. And one particular occasion, again, it was around 10, Satan comes for children. Watch your children. He comes for children. And I don't remember who said yesterday, your children don't do what you say. They may do it for fear of Cain. But I guarantee what they would do when the fear of Cain is gone is what they saw. So when you are no longer afraid, I will beat you, I will something, you will time out. When all that is gone, when they go off to university. In the UK, once you are 18, you are an adult. It is what they saw. Because sight creates images. And images are embedded in the heart. And it is what is in the heart that produces fruit. So my, my sister, my closest sister, I mean, she's one I'm closest to. When I was about 10, she must have been about 18 or 19 at the time, she got pregnant. And at the time, getting pregnant as a teenager, she was still in school, etc. <sighs> For me, I mean, I was young, so they didn't, they, I was a baby of the house, it sort of excluded me, come somehow, but you could still observe what was happening. The, the kind of treatment my sister got for getting pregnant. It was traumatic for me. For me, watching. I was traumatized. I was traumatized. And that was the entry point. Because from that moment, I became afraid. Deathly afraid. And I made a verse. I would never have a child outside of it. In my coaching, I, I tell people, once you say I will never, there's some, it has a root. Yeah. You're trying to run away from an oak tree. It already has a root. That I will never. Hmm. Yeah. You better take it into the Holy of Holies. Yeah. I made a vow as a young child observing. Oh my God, this is what happens to people. That, eh? So, <laughs> hey, from that moment, of course, I was still a child. All of this is in hindsight too. So from my teenagers, you know, people were getting boyfriends, say me, but if you come near me, boy, boy, boyfriend, call. If I get, you know, <laughs> I became super, what, chaste. <laughs> hey. Like, I mean, I was, I had really, you know, older siblings, so I was singing, I wasn't born again. I was singing all the songs, all the 90s music and all that, but when it came to boys, like, hmm. When I finally said, okay, let's have a boyfriend, I remember, I will never forget this. First year of university or something like that. And this guy drove to my house, boyfriend now. He said, oh, I've come to take you out. And I thought, oh, ice cream and cake, shawarma. <laughs> he now drove, he kept driving and driving and driving. We now go to Uncle's house. Uncle and I say, ah, this is where I live. As soon as we got, I said, take me back to my house now. The guy was like, what's wrong? I said, no. And I said, I will never sleep with you. I will never sleep with you. Take me back to my... I was hysterical. The guy was like, I just wanted to show you where I live. I said, I don't care. Take me back to my house. This, listen, I'm trying to tell you something that, listen... All this effort. You're trying to run away from something that's rooted in your heart. It is not by works. It's not of lack of trying. If you haven't guessed, I had a child outside of wedlock. That's where I'm going. 
Not because I didn't try, oh. But whatever is rooted. That is why I'm talking about re-engineering. It's a heart transplant. Long story short, I did everything I knew to do. Eventually broke up with the uncle that wanted to carry me to his house. He said, geez, let's be going our separate ways. Became born again around that time. I think I was about, I'd been, I got born again at 13. Started seriously walking with God at about 16 or 17. On fire for God. On fire. On fire. As in, I would, I was all out for Jesus. University of Lagos campus. People saw how, you know, deep and spiritual these girls, they were just like, oh, you know, make ahead of this, make ahead of this. Eventually, I was actually ordained a pastor in my fellowship on campus. In the midst of all of that, I still carried this intense fear. That, oh, the fear was so bad that I would lay down to sleep at night and I would have a dream. i say, oh, Somebody was shouting at me, you're pregnant, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. And I wake up and say, thank God it was a dream. The thing had eaten up my soul. But nobody taught me how to uproot that tree. We were praying in tongues. The same way, poverty. No matter how much money, they've tripled, quadrupled times 10 the salary you are getting, but you never know where the money goes. There's a law at work. There's a law at work. You saw your, your parents' marriage disintegrate, and you're wondering why your own marriage is going in a direction that you know with all your heart you don't want it to go. There is a what? A law at work. You must be willing to do the work to change the state of your heart. And I got to that point, and for me, that, the pregnancy, was light shining. Jesus interrupting because I was on a collision course with destruction. But that light, but is the light pleasant? No. Paul was blind for three days. He couldn't see anything. Blind. In the midst of it is the, I mean, hell hole is not enough to describe what I was in in that season. Try and imagine. I was a young man. I literally just finished university. No job. No money. No, okay, let's at least do shotgun wedding. That door was closed. And I was a pastor. They used to call me what? Pastor, allow me. Ah, you can't. Well, maybe some of you can. The shame. The shame. And Satan said, you're finished. But what Satan thought was the end of my destiny. Ha, ah, when I look back today, I see that that was the beginning of my destiny in God. Why are you writing yourself off? If God could go to the depths of hell when Jesus carried the sin of the entire world and raised him up to the point where he gave him a name that is above every name and that at that name, every knee must bow. Have you gone to hell? Have you gone that low? Why are you writing yourself up? God says, for your shame, I will give you double honor. For your shame, I will give you what? Double honor. And God told me in that season, I'm going to walk you through that process. He said, allow me. 
do you know that you do not qualify for double honor if you have no shame? He didn't say, for your perfection, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to give you double honor. He didn't say, ah, look at this beautiful flower, more beauty. No, he said beauty for what? Ashes. So for the areas of your life, can you reconstruct wood out of ashes? For the areas of your life where you've done everything you know to what? To do. You are helpless. It is a grand opportunity for God to give you something so beautiful that when you look at the ashes, you'll be like, thank God this thing burns to the ground. When I look back, at my 20-year-old daughter, when I look at the life that God has brought me into, my wonderful husband, my children, my three children, the platforms that God is giving me to speak on, the lives of women that God is using my, my work to transform, all of that came out of my shame. I have no ministry outside of my shame. I have nothing to tell you outside of my shame. See, those challenges. I say, ah, ah. you meet a friend and say, ah, you're still working at that place. Ah, me, I've already, I'm, I'm general manager. At, you're still assistant manager. Ah, sorry, oh. ah, God will do it one day. You go home and you cry. That is what God is looking for. Have you given it to him? Like I said yesterday, I'm a teacher. So until we show you how, we are not satisfied. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to walk you very quickly through the process. Let's go to Ezekiel 40 from verse 1, New Living Translation. What do you do? How do you re-engineer yourself? Let's read. Number one, verse one. On April, so this is the prophet Isaiah. It says, on April 28, during the 25th year of our captivity, 14 years after the fall of Jerusalem, the Lord took hold of me. The first thing I want you to see, he said, our captivity. The first thing you must do is you must take one hundred percent responsibility. The moment you blame someone or something, you have given your power away. You say that married, he should change first. You are giving your power away. I didn't have this, I didn't have that. You are giving your power away. This thing I'm reading very like just read the English like this. This is what God started to teach me in the darkest seasons of my life. So allow me, you have nobody to blame. If you blame somebody or you blame people or you blame situations, then you are saying that I, I God, don't have the power to move you forward. Because if you are saying, oh, it's because this person did that. I have to go and change that person first before I can move you forward. I have to go and remedy what you are saying is the cause before I can then start to move you forward. Do you understand what I'm saying? Especially in marriage. Marriage, it only takes one. It takes what? One. Stop saying he should change first. In fact, I tell the women that I work with, I said, if it is you that is hearing the message, it is you that God is asking to change. Because you now know better. Don't you? Uh Uh-huh. 100% responsibility. And what is this 100% responsibility that that I'm taking responsibility for? I'm saying, listen, it's not that it's my fault. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I don't care whose fault it is. I take responsibility for my own life. 
and my own future and what happens after today. I blame no one. I release everyone. I forgive anyone, everyone. No one has a power over my life. You can't start the process of re-engineering until you take 100% responsibility. The process will not even start. If you still are blaming someone, you, you can't start. Just say, God, I ask for mercy for the part that I had to play in this. Okay, let's go. Do you understand that? So that's the first thing. It says our captivity. And at that time, Jerusalem was in ruins. Most of the people had been taken away as captives into Babylon. Verse 2, it says, In a vision from God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. From there, I could see the, toward the south what appeared to be a city. So God took him in a vision. In reality, Jerusalem was still a ruined place. It had been burned to the ground. So, the next thing, once you go to God, I say, God, do you know what? I receive your mercy and I release your mercy. I receive your mercy and I release your mercy to everyone. I release everybody and I release myself. Let's move forward. The second thing is, God at that point will begin to show you visions, pictures of your future. He took Ezekiel, said on a very high mountain, and he began to show him a beautiful city. What does that mean? God will begin to show you scriptures. He'll begin to show you things in the scriptures that look nothing like your current situation. These are precious. You should document them. Ask God to open your eyes. Say, Father, open my eyes. Show me your version of my future. It was at those times that God began to tell me how much he loves me. He began to tell me that my future is not only bright. My future has never been brighter. In the midst of all of that, he began to show me flashes of where my life was going. So God will begin to show you scriptures. You must document those scriptures. You must document those scriptures. And then the next thing that would happen, verse 3 says, As he brought me nearer, I saw a man whose face shone like bronze standing beside a gateway entrance. He was holding in his hand a linen measuring cord and a measuring rod. In the process of expanding and making you, you know, see that vision, that bright future that God has for you, God is going to bring two kinds of people into your life. First is teachers to help you interpret that vision, pictures. And the second is midwives. You should pray for these. But honestly, I don't even think, once you lay open your heart and say, God, I'm ready, and genuinely in your heart, it triggers all these things that I'm talking about. Honestly, you don't even have to go into one day fast and say, okay, God, send me my teachers. Once your heart is open, I say, God, I take 100% responsibility. Teachers, and I remember I was seven months pregnant at the time. In fact, my, I was living in the same house with my mother. She didn't know. <laughs> My wife didn't know I was pregnant until I told her seven and a half months. This process for me started when I was seven and a half months, and I don't have time to share my story. I have a podcast called Super Abundant Life, episode one. If you want to hear it, go and listen to that. About the miracles, the things that God did. But here's my point. I was at home, depressed, like Saul, hiding away. And a book found its way to me. That book, I still have the original copy, 20 years later in my library. Faith and Confession by Charles Capps. That was the first teacher that God sent me in that dark hole. Because, yes, he was showing me all these things, but hello, how? I, I, I read that book. I devoured it. I thought, eh, 
oh, you mean I have to take scriptures and begin to declare the word? So, I mean, it's a powerful book. You can go and read it. But what I'm saying is, God will bring. He will bring. It could be a book. You could watch somebody's message and, and oh my God. And you, you, he'll begin to add layers so that you know what to do, the steps you ought to take to move forward. So teachers and their midwives, people that will hold your hands. God sent me a couple of midwives in those seasons that are praying for you, that are encouraging, encouraging voices. And then, finally, verse 4. This is the most important part. He said to me, son of man, watch and listen. Pay close attention to everything I show you. You have been brought here so I can show you many things. Then you will return to the people of Israel and tell them everything you have seen. I want to read that final verse in New King James Version. And there are four things. In your own private space, you must be doing these four things. You want, to, you want to uproot an oak tree from your heart? Excuse me. Listen. Did you notice the order? First, God started speaking to Ezekiel. The same with Saul. If you go and read the rest of that chapter, Acts 9. Jesus had a conversation, private conversation with Saul before he went to bring Ananias. In other words, you're going around asking for people to pray for you. The work must start with you. A teacher cannot change your life. They can only add to what God is doing in your life. If you think it is just by plugging in and watching prayer and typing amen, I'm sorry, that is not how you re-engineer yourself. Said, son of man, look with your eyes. See those scriptures that God gave you? I'm talking to serious people, right? Yes. You want to hear this thing? Yes. Okay. I'm talking to people that want to eat the body of Jesus, right? Not just people that are looking for bread and fish. Seriously. You know, Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish. Then they went to call all their neighbors and say, ah, eh? they're giving out bread and suya. <laughs> come, come, come. And then the next time, they gather, thinking Jesus is just manifesting more miracles, instant miracles. And Jesus said, actually, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, ah, who wants to be doing that one? We tell you, we're just going to be dishing out miracles. Hello? Miracles? Just collect, take it, receive it. Babies. You want to re-engineer yourself, produce your own anointing. Because when you generate your own anointing, then other people benefit from it. God is looking for teachers, not babes. Paul said, by now, this is how you re-engineer your life. By now, you ought to be teachers. You should be the one calling a massive prayer meeting, laying hands on new believers. Casting out devils, laying hands on the sick. It is not a portion to a certain number of people. Who told you that? So you take those scriptures. Say, look with your eyes. So I, I took those scriptures. I started to read, to meditate. Hours a day. This thing takes time. It takes energy. You can't just dip in and dip out. If you're talking about re-engineering, you can't just say 15 minutes here and then two months later when something happens, you cry again, you run to God. Stop all that. Look with your eyes. As you begin to look with your eyes, it says that you will hear. God will begin to show you more things. You begin to see things in that scripture. Document them. Document them. He will lead you to other scriptures. You'll be listening to messages, worshipping him. You will hear other things. He's adding details to the picture, to the new version of you. And then number three, he says, fix your mind on everything I show you. Fix your mind. Fix your mind on everything I show you. 
So you begin to see. You begin to see. So you may have heard, for your shame, I will give you double honor. Those are still just words. As you focus on that, guess what's happening? You begin to see flashes begin to come. You begin to see yourself carrying those twins. Those are images. You begin to see yourself as the CEO of that multinational. Those are images. Don't say, ah, ah, ah. Don't shrink back. Embrace it. Say, ah, thank you, Jesus. And rejoice. Write them down. Close your eyes and imagine. And imagine. Say, fix your mind. That's your mind's eye on everything that will show. So it's sight. And then finally, he said, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. So the things you are seeing, those images, says, begin to declare them. To who? To the house of Israel. Begin to speak to that situation. Now, you are not just speaking from the place of timidity. You are speaking as the king himself. Because he has given you authority, number one. And number two, you now absolutely believe what he's saying. You begin to call it forth. So you know what God said? Seven and a half months pregnant. In fact, at this point, it was almost nine months pregnant. He said, write down where you, what you want in a year's time. Write it down. I was by myself oh, with my child's cap's book and the word. So I wrote it down. I said, I want to be in the United Kingdom. I didn't have a passport, too. I, no, I, I didn't have British passport. I didn't even have Nigerian passport. And I didn't have money to get passport. I was in a dire situation. I had no right to go and ask for this. They had stamped my passport many times in trying. So all the things God was asking me to write down, absolutely impossible. I said, I want to be in the United Kingdom because God had been showing me pictures that that's where I'm sending you. Do you see those pictures? So I documented them. I said, when I go, I, you know, I've heard stories that you have to wash dead body. You have to wash, you know, orishishi kind of job. I said, no, I want a professional job as soon as I get there. And I don't want to marry anybody for visa. I don't want any illegal anything. I want my immigration status sorted straight away. I wrote down all these things. I wrote down what I, was, what I wanted to earn. And that's what you begin to declare. You take the word. You take the image, those pictures, those words, and you begin to declare. I did that for two months. And by itself, the door opened. I don't have time, so I'm not going to share the story. But I can tell you now that the life, I've had to re-engineer myself a few times in my life, about two or three times in my life. And I'm at the point now where I'm going through another process of re-engineering. This is what it takes. Summarizing. Number one, accept 100% responsibility. Number two, pray to God to open your eyes and give you his version of your future. And like I said, you don't need to pray that deep prayer. Once you accept 100% responsibility, God kickstarts the process. How does he do that? He begins to give you scriptures, document them. And he will bring teachers and midwives into your life in that season. Number three, be diligent to build that new image. How? I walked you through that process. What's the process? You look with your eyes, the scriptures. As you're looking, he's telling you more things. So you hear with your ears. Then you fix your mind on the images that are coming out of those scriptures. Then you begin to declare what you see into that situation. Praise the Lord. can just take hands first. Um, please, I would like to ask, on, not from a place of hate, unforgiveness, or whatever you might want to target as, that you've done your due diligence, and everybody around you can testify that ah, what you did is like the best in this position. And I, when I say people who said so, I mean fathers now okay my father is late and those who represent my father right now say my uncles who are born again christians and even the not so born again ones male figures and i'm talking in respect to you saying honor parents 
and it is now looking like the, you are, let's say, probably doing what you're doing against the word of God. Um, it is looking like a Jacob and Esau situation. What would you tell Esau? the question you, I mean but in terms of time okay I mean that you've done your best to make sure you have a relationship with a but parent yes and, and the, you have to stay away to a point that you have to block off all communications okay can I just because I, I know what you're saying so is your dad still alive no he's late 23 years okay so he's he's late. Yes. So technically, you can't quote unquote repair the relationship. No, 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 my dad. My mom is still very alive. Sorry. My mom, she's still very alive. Do you have a relationship with your mom? No, no. Okay. All right. I've tried too many times and it didn't okay. work. So for sanity sake, oh, I just. I understand. Me. I understand. See, you can't take responsibility for somebody else's actions. The only thing you can take responsibility for is the state of your own heart and your own actions. So if I see Pastor Toye and I say, ah, Pastor Toye, good evening, ma. And Pastor Toye, she will never do that because she's an absolutely amazing person. She just carries her eye like this. And I see her the next day, and I know I'm meant to greet her. Will I say, ah, she didn't even answer me yesterday. I'm not greeting her. No. My conscience and what I know tells me that I should still go and greet her. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. You can't force somebody to be in a relationship with you, but you can still do your part. And when you do your part, remember, this is between you and God. Whatever God shows you to do, do it. Whatever, and I'm not even saying deep, deep that, you know, Holy Spirit is, there are certain things in the Bible, what does honor look like? Even culturally, right? What does honor? Like, sending money, buying gifts, looking after your parents. Culturally, these are things that honor. They might send it back, but did they sending it back remove your sending it? You can still do your part, regardless of how the other person responds. Because, listen, this is a very personal thing between you and God. So if you know that I want to move forward, you must be willing to do whatever is required of you, regardless of anybody's response to it. Didn't they kill Jesus? They killed Jesus now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus laid down his life. So you have to lay down your life. Keep doing whatever it is you know to do and don't worry about what the other person is doing. Amen. Church, praise the Lord. I think the scripture says that God said he will show mercy to whom he will show mercy. And now, this process you have explained to us, many people have gone through that process. They didn't get any positive results. So, explain this scripture with this process, why some people did not achieve anything. Uh (laughs) Thank you, Ma. Uh <laughs> Mio, I choose to believe the Bible. And the Word of God teaches us that His mercies are new. Is it not Bible I read to you? I didn't come, in fact, that is sometimes why I hesitate to share my story because people can say, Is you, is you. No, it was the scripture. And let me be honest with you. When people say they went through process, no. They did not. Because the process never 
fails. Do you know why it never fails? Because it is built on the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Incorruptible. Isaiah 55 says, my word will accomplish what I sent it. He now said, for you have a part to play. So if it's not working, it's your fault. You might say, oh, but I've been praying. What is the content of your prayers? Is it God, come and look up all my affliction. Listen, Jesus was about to face the biggest test of his life. What was he saying? Was he saying, hey, this thing, why me that I'm son of God? How can you be suggesting? You know, see what they're saying. Was that what Jesus was saying? Even in the vexation of his soul, he said he was sweating blood. He said, if it be thy will. Can you see the content? So if you say, I pray, but I pray, but... Go on, listen. When people say, but I've done it, that very thought is a problem. 